this morning at a scientifically determined spot on the planet, which is called the International Time Zone, the sun slowly came up, kind of like every day. So it wasn't that big of a deal. And, and, we, and when the sun comes up, you kind of go, oof, I'm glad that happened. And it just does, it just every day. And so as it slowly came up, it came over the Pacific Rim and it hit Japan and it hit China. It hit uh, multiple other Asian countries. It slowly crept toward Eastern Europe. It hit toward the Middle East. It started to go over Africa. It woke up Tyler Betts sleeping in my bed. Man, that makes me mad because I'm going to have to burn my sheets when I get home. And some of you are like, what's the matter? What are you talking about? It's Pastor Phil's son who's sleeping in my bed right now, and I joke with him all the time. When I get home, he's sleeping in my bed right now. I'm going to burn my sheets because I've seen that dude sweat. It's grotesque. And so, and again, there's maybe if a third of you are like, oh, that's just really funny. I've seen that kid before. But anyway, back to the real story. And it just keeps coming and coming, and then it went over Greenland, Iceland, and it hit New York City, and it went over Brazil, and the sun just keeps coming up. And of all the people that woke up this morning, as I told you on Monday, 3.2 billion don't know Jesus. They don't have an access to Christ. They don't know the name of Jesus. Of all those people there, these to have nothing. They're unreached. And we went through the whole thing, so I'm not going to recap all of Monday's message, but just think every morning when we get up, most of the people who do not know the name of Jesus have already woke up, gone through their activities of the day. And there is another element that we don't like to speak about, but a lot of those people didn't eat. And a lot of those people took a glass or a cup or a jar and drank water that would make all of us vomit. And they don't know Christ. And like I told you, I'm not actually sure what to do with that in my mind. And I think about that. It's, it's tragic. And yet, as I'm going to show you this morning, a whole bunch of those people are here. Now, I said here. This is what I mean. Some of them live on your block. Some of them live in your neighborhood. Some of them live in your town, and it is unthinkable that some of them don't live at least in your county. Now, what you have here is a website called Data USA. I love this site. I am just enamored with this site. It's phenomenal. Um, I sit in my little French castle. Well, okay, it's not quite a castle, you know. I'm waiting to missionary retire status to go up to that castle level, of course. But I uh, sit in my little French home, and I just look every once in a while. And I'm going to show you in the next slide something I found that blew my mind. All right, so now I know it's not the biggest thing, and th there's going to be some technological issues here, but this is Fort Dodge, Iowa. And I have to do something real quick. It's driving me insane. I just got a text from Domino's in France, and today is jeudi fou, so maybe on peut acheter des pizzas. Uh, that's, that's really impressive, isn't it? Uh, I can, get, I can get any large pizza for $7.99 in euros, and I'm sick of that. So I'm really, that's, 
At least it didn't ring. That's just terrible. So turn your phones off. Oh, yeah, we delivery, you know. But uh, anyway, man, that's just really embarrassing. So this is Fort Dodge, Iowa. I've known Fort Dodge, Iowa forever. Maybe you lived once in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Now I'm going to say something that really isn't going to blow you away. The giant 94.2% of the orange there, that's all y'all. That's white people, non-Hispanics. That's not shocking, uh, really, at all. But next to that, there's 6.7% of, of uh, people live in Fort Dodge are African Americans, and 4.6% are Hispanics, which gives you about... 1,500 Hispanics that live in Fort Dodge. Do they know Jesus? I don't know. Do they have the scriptures in their language? And this is where it gets really tricky. Dagnabbit, those dagnab foreigners, they ought to learn that dagnab English. I just wanted to say dagnabbit because we don't say that in French. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since that. And I don't think that dagnabbit's a curse word. It's like, well, yeah. In 2012, it was officially became one, so thanks, Missionary Mark. That's, uh, which, just so you know, over in the retreat center, stories are flung around in the evening. There is a non-disclosure agreement that you'll be signing at the end of this week, but uh, I've cursed more than once in a message, and I mean cursed. I mean, I have let flung swear words in the middle of a French message, and I had no clue because I thought I was saying it the right way, and I wasn't. And that's always fun, watching little old ladies keel over in their chairs like, oh, Lord, why does that American insist on cursing in his messages? Yeah, it doesn't happen every Sunday, thankfully, but it has happened, family, hasn't it? Oh, yes, there have been some amazing things that... And that's where you really, at the end, you're just like, well, it's humbling. And you're like, and then, you, I mean, you've just let something fly to your mouth. So horrible. And then the little old lady goes, greatest message I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. And you're like, God does seem to be rather gracious, doesn't he? Because, uh, so anyway, you have in Fort Dodge, Iowa, 1,500 Hispanics. And even that is, that's not technically correct. Because Hispanic is an overall group, but maybe they're all El Salvadorians. Or maybe they're from Guatemala. Or maybe they all are Mexicans, but we have a tendency to call them Mexicans. And they're not all Mexicans. And do we care enough about yesterday's message and the commandment in Scripture to have compassion and caring and kindness for the stranger, for the foreigner, to actually learn their ethnic identity. Now, I'm just going to say this real quick because I think it's really important. I brought something. This is my green card. This is the real deal. I mean, this little computer chip here, it has everything in it except, I don't know, my... It's got everything in it. It's got all my... It's got my fingerprints. It's got my whole life is right here. And if a French cop wants at any time, he can say, show me your card. He scans it. And I'm legal or I'm illegal. And he knows instantly. And if I'm illegal, they will put me on a plane and they will ship me out of the country. It's how it works. And I'm good with that because there are laws and I want to follow the laws. And I think that it's important to have order and rules. At the same time, have you ever in your life had empathy and compassion 
for an illegal? Have you ever thought once, as we might be saying, we need to send him back where he's from, he's not in accord with the law of giving a gospel in his own language? Before you send him back, I I believe in law and order. And so when we look at a town in Iowa, it's just a town. It's not that big of a deal. It's Fort Dodge, Iowa. There are also people from identified as Asians and others. And so if I lived in Fort Dodge, Iowa, and I saw two blocks over, there was a Hispanic family. Would I be willing to do the following? And I'm dead serious when I say this. I discover, and and I'm not joking about this at all, I discover they run a Mexican restaurant. Would I be willing to eat there three times a week for a month to form a friendship so I could invite them to my house for Thanksgiving? And I'm dead serious about that because guess what? That works, at least in France, when you offer to teach foreigners the other English through an English club You invite them to your home for Thanksgiving, and it is one of the single greatest things that's happened to them as far as relationships with other people. They're deeply touched by that. So now, to be just a little bit more lighthearted about that. So what I'm challenging you to do is to enter into the tremendous, wonderful world of Mexican restaurant missions. Go for it. It's the, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wow you with my Spanish. It's the enchilada. It's the taco. It's the burrito. I don't know. It's probably a French accent there, but, you know, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm not joking about this at all. If half of you, at the end of this time, at the end of this week, would say, you know, that missionary boy there, he's not too bad. I'm going to go into Mexican restaurant missions. Do it. Go enough times in one month that you become on first name basis with the owner. You know his wife. You know his children. You know he's El Salvadorian and not Mexican. You can actually identify the food. You start to say, uh, and, oh man, I just I lost my mind. Um, uh, buenos dios, I guess. I, I, all my Spanish just float out of my brain. And I want to say, and you can say bonjour to him, but that would be <laughs> French restaurant missions and I don't think that Fort Dodge has that. So, uh, so you go and you go and you go and you go and you learn his name is Enrique. And you say to Enrique and his wife, and I don't know a Spanish woman's name, a Hispanic woman's name, sorry, and you say, what are the name of your children? Where did you come? What is your backstory? And the guy actually has a sense that you care about him as an individual and not just somebody who throws some food in front of your face. And I promise you, when Thanksgiving comes and you say to him, you know, I've appreciated so much that you've actually become kind of my friend. I've enjoyed this and I've got to know you and I know your children. You know, there's this thing in America, the fourth Thursday of every November would you be willing to come over to our house and just share a turkey? And see, and we, there you are. We talked about this at breakfast. We figured the whole thing out. You don't have to plan out your menu. It's stinking Thanksgiving. You're going to have dry turkey with wet gravy. You mix it together. It's beautiful. And it, it, it's just so simple. And you invite them into your house. And you pray because it's Thanksgiving. And you talk about the pilgrims and their beliefs because it's Thanksgiving and nothing in life could be more normal. And yet, 
we often hesitate. And there's a multitude of reasons, but none of them are really that good. I'm going to show you one more thing. This is Ames, and it flips. 79.4% of Ames are whites. 10.7% are Asian. Now, that in itself, again, doesn't mean anything. And what I mean by this is the following. And, and I know that there are two individuals who are going to know perfectly what I'm saying. But if you're from the Philippines, so my dear friends, you're not Japanese at all, are you? No, 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 no. The Japanese did some stuff. 39, 40, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44. And there's some tough things there. And so, once again, all that for one reason. Know who the individuals are. So what are you going to do? Well, please don't start a missions ministry at Panda Express. It's not the real deal. Oh, it's fine. I have nothing against Panda Express. But once again, if you live in Ames, if you live anywhere in that area, would you be willing to invite someone from Thailand to your house for Christmas? Like, ah, I'd, I'd love to. I'm just not sure who they are. Find them. But see, to find them, you have to do something that can become at times very uncomfortable. You have to go outside of your zone. You have to go to the other. But once again, that really shouldn't be that much of a deal because of what Christ told us to do yesterday in the message with the other, with the foreigner. So now I'm going to try something. Noah, let's see if we can do this. There is a way to really, really figure this out. This website is called Joshua Project, and the mouse works. Noah, you get a raise, I promise you. I, Pastor Phil's already good with it. So, <laughs> Joshua Project, to me, is the single greatest tool for missions that has ever been invented in human history. It's absolutely phenomenal. Those 3.24 billion people who do not know the name of Christ, you can find on this website where they are. And so this is about 20, 25 years in the workings. Um, missiologists, people who study missions all the time, they develop this website. Very quickly, uh, you can go there and you can find the 17,000, how many ever, people, the ethnic groups that exist. You can find the groups, the language they speak, and all the countries that they have immigrated to or live in uh, from the very beginning. You can find what language they speak. You can go through that list of all those people. You can find out the percentage, the number of, of evangelical Christians that are among them. How many Christians, as far as Protestant, Catholic, what is the main religion in those people groups? As you go down, you can see uh, also, do they have the Bible translated in their language? And this is one of the coolest things ever. You click, and you have the Bible in audio if it exists in their language. Meaning this, I go to, I don't know where in Ames, and I come across someone from Thailand who's a very specific ethnic group, and we start to talk. And I'm like, have you ever heard about Jesus? And like, no, not really. I mean, uh, I don't really understand what you're talking about. Have you heard of the Bible? No. Would you like to hear the Bible in your language? Click, click, click on your phone. It's there. 
You can show them the Jesus film in their language. I had an occasion in a French Bible college to teach about this Joshua project because the same thing exists in French. I had a 75-year-old man sitting before me who was a first-year student in a Bible college. He was a Vietnamese of, of, of a nationality, came to France in his 20s, became a French citizen, served in the French Air Force for a number of years, and retired. I just wanted to learn more about Jesus, learn more about the Bible. He came from a very specific group in the southern, eastern part, or western part of Vietnam. I said to him, did you know that your group, your people group, they have the Bible in your language? He said, no, come on. I said, seriously. I said, the Jesus film is in your language. He was blown away. So I said, watch. I clicked it. They started to quote John 3.16. He put his head down on the desk, and he wept for 10 minutes. He'd never heard the Bible in his mother tongue. It means something to people. And it's all there. So I'm going to show you two things, if I can, very quickly here. You come up to the people groups, and they give a list. And it's, well, of course, they give a list, and I will never be able to find it in a million years because, well, let's see. Uh, let's go to global statistics. And, eh, well, I thought I was going to be able to work this. Yeah, well, what I'm going to tell you is this. This is your homework project. You go there, and uh, matter of fact, maybe I can try to work this thing, but um, they have a list of the top 100 people who have never heard the gospel. uh, Let's see. Well, uh, that's all right. Unreached, there you go. Okay, so you start, you go over here. Can you scroll that down just a tiny bit for me, Noah? There you go. So it's an alphabetical list of all the people groups in the world who've never been reached with the gospel. And number two is the Tajik people from Afghanistan, Tajik Afghans. There's 10 million of them, and 0.01% are followers of Christ. That's three times the size of, of Iowa. Ten million people woke up this morning and they don't have a friend who knows Christ, they don't have a church in their area, and they don't have access to the Bible. And again, I don't know what to do with that. As far as emotionally, that's beyond my understanding. I, 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 I don't get it. 14 million Saudis of the Najid tribe, nothing. 10 million Tunisian Arabs. 10 million Ansari people from India. And it goes on and on and on, and it just gets more and more depressing. 59 million Branham in India. And there are no believers. Think of that. 59 million people woke up today, and not one single individual said, Thank you, Lord. Now, if our Bible is garbage, and if God does not exist, and if Jesus was never born, eh, eh, you know, eh, it's the way it is. But if this is truth, 59 million people in India woke up. Nothing. And 
And I'm going to stop because it just gets more and more and more depressing because there's 3.24 billion of these individuals. And yet, you have a tool here that is amazing. I'm going to show you one specific thing because it's just, it kind of blew me away because in, in essence, I, I'm not saying I should have known about it per se, but it just kind of, no, if you can just go down just a bit. Okay, we're going to click on America. All right. 300, 332 million people live in America. 521 people groups with 18.6% of the world's unreached people group. They live in the land of Uncle Sam. They're among us. Let's just round that up. 20%. Of all the individuals in the world who do not know the name of Jesus, they're here. Now, once again, what does that mean, they're here? What are you talking about? So every, every on this map of the United States, every time you see a red dot, that means there's a group of people who have never, ever, ever heard the name of Jesus. So you click kind of right in the middle here, and the Taidem people are in the United States, there's 4,300 of them, and actually, I did a little more research. There's actually 10,000 of them right now, and they just so happen to live a wee bit south of Des Moines. And guess who brought them here? Governor Bob Ray in 1975. These people were suffering terribly at the end of the Vietnam War. They fled Vietnam to Thailand because they had actually supported the U.S. forces during the war from Thailand. Bob Ray brought them to Des Moines. And they have grown, and they have grown, and they have grown. And out of all those people, there is a tenth, one, one, one-tenth, no, how do you say that? 0.1%. I'm not really good with math. so, And I don't know if that shows or not, but uh, nothing. I mean, there, and actually know what the deal is, is there's a guy who went to Vietnam from Des Moines. He found Christ in Vietnam, and he's come back, and he's kind of tried to share his testimony. It's not gone real well. There are 10,000 people that live south of Des Moines that do not have Jesus. And guess what? They have an association. They go to state fairs. They have native costumes. They dance. They speak their language. They're vibrant. You don't have to search these people. They're here. I had no clue. My, any, did any of you know that these people existed? And it's okay because there's more than 10,000 people in Des Moines. You know, it's, they're, they're, they're hidden in plain sight. And yet they're here. And so what are we going to do? Because they're not the only people group. They're not the only individuals. They're not the only other foreigner living among us. But once again, the problem is, is that the message yesterday was pretty clear. It was pretty evident. We are actually commanded to have empathy, compassion, and caring toward all those other people, the foreigner, the stranger, the one who's not like me. And it's not always easy. And so what I'm going to do is, um, Noah, if we can go back to the PowerPoint, and I'm just going to have you flip through to the message site there. So th that's the people there. It was Bob Ray bringing him over. So I'd have you probably go, maybe had 10 slides there, Noah. Yeah, you keep going. I had a plan B just in case I couldn't get on the internet. So, okay. 
There is a key to reaching these unreached people. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Now, in the missions world in the last 20 years, this has become known as the incarnational method. Uh, I was taught this in a seminary in, in Columbia, South Carolina, called Columbia Graduate School of Missions. I've fully adapted this. I live this every moment of my life. This is the most important thing to me in missions that I've ever understood or ever seen. But it's way beyond going to France or any other country. This must be your life. And I'll prove it at the end because you're commanded to do something here. So the key is in this passage. We'll go to the next slide. The key thought is Philippians 2.5. Have this mind or this, this, this attitude, this thinking. You are commanded to think exactly in the same way that Jesus thought. So we're going to see what Jesus did and what he thought, and then we're going to go back up to verses 3 and 4 and see the practical application. So you go on the next slide, and you see that it explains the example. This is the key example of what Jesus did. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. Now, you're going to see this word form three times. You're going to see it in the middle, taking the form of a servant, and in the third line, found in human form. The first two times, Paul uses a very specific word that has a very specific meaning. The third time, he switches words, and it doesn't mean the same thing. Now, something happened this morning that is just really fortuitous for this passage. I have before me, in aisle two, to my left, the man who made me bike. He didn't introduce me to bike. He forced me to bike. He, I had no choice. That man, I'm looking at him right now. He doesn't want to look at me because we'll get all emotional. But it's Dan Fish, my dear friend from camp. We did things here that are unmentionable and uh, will never, ever, ever be sent to any police authorities or any governmental organizations. I like freedom and liberty. But I saw Dan for the first time in 12 years last week. And I looked at him and I said, oh, no, it was two weeks ago. And I thought, uh, that's Dan Fish. But that ain't Dan Fish. Because in my mind, Dan Fish is 16 years old, and we go biking together. And Dan surely looked at me, and he said, I, I think I, I'm sure I heard him say, why, you have neither changed nor aged in the last 45 years. You are truly a miracle from God. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the woman who really knows it all is my mom. Because she saw me when I was that, and then that, and then that, and about 10 years ago in France, she saw me when I was that, because I got really into the pastries, and uh, so I've had all sorts of life transformations, but guess what? Inside there, the moment that my mother held me in her hands for the very first time, I was Mark. And I would change and transform, but I always had the same genetic makeup. And I was interiorly always the same individual. The word that Paul uses here is the word to morph. That's not the Greek pronunciation because I don't want to embarrass myself, but let's just go with morph. Metamorphosis is what? It's when the caterpillar is always the butterfly. The caterpillar is always the butterfly just inside, and it can change and transform it metamorphoses. Though Jesus was in the 
nature. It's talking about the true being. Who is this person, Jesus? It says he was in the form of God. Now, from a missions evangelism type of a standpoint, what that means is the following. Jesus existed in the culture of heaven. Jesus is in heaven. He's the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is what he is, but I believe he was in a spirit form. That's just my little take on things. But he is there from eternity past. Jesus has always existed. And there's some things Jesus never knew when he was in the culture of heaven. He did, know, he did not know fatigue. He did not know hunger. He did not know sorrow. He was perfect. Perfect. Um, I personally believe that when Jesus woke up every day, he had a little sleep in his eyes. I mean, I really think that because he's going to become a man. He didn't have that in heaven. Everything was absolutely perfect. And he did not even count this equality, this sharing of the same nature with God as something to be held permanently because he emptied himself. And, and there's an entire theological word and concept that just means that Jesus is going to become something that he's going to have to give up certain aspects of that culture in heaven by taking the morph. The morphe is the of a servant. Now, he's going to do that by becoming a man, and we'll get to touch that in a second. But Jesus, according to this passage, then has within him two natures. He has a divine nature. He is God, and yet he is going to take upon himself 100% a human nature, or if you want, literally, he's going to descend and enter into human culture. He's going to be born of a woman, a virgin. Which, by the way, just so you know, that never happens, ever. No, I mean, I actually was awake during my biology class, and that can't happen unless a miraculous intervention of God occurs. And so we have to come to grasp with the fact that our faith also contains miraculous things that scientific individuals will never be able to grasp, and that's our faith in God. And so what the scriptures say is that he became, uh, he's going to take on this human form, but he becomes a servant, literally a man, by taking on the nature of a man, but he goes from culture A to culture B earthly culture where he's going to know fatigue, sorrow, pain. He's going to know human life. And he did this being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. And we see form for the third time. But this is the word that we get our word uh, schematic or the word is shema. And it means the actual outward appearance. So Jesus wasn't some sort of a weirdo phantom type thing, and he wasn't a, a strange sort of a half a God type thing like in Greek mythology. No, Jesus was born of a virgin. He actually became a human being, and you could see it because he had hands, he had cheeks, he had a nose, he had feet. He's a man. And why did he do this? Because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But imagine the leap Jesus made. Jesus is in the culture of heaven. He's living a perfect existence continually from the, not the beginning forever, which is kind of a hard thing to grasp, to the one point where among the Trinity, they decide, Jesus, you will now go and save the earth from their sins. And to do it, you kind of have to make a leap that had to be the most uncomfortable 
disconcerting leap ever made by any individual in human history. Oh, by the way, Jesus, you need to be born as a child, which means that when you're born, you will understand nothing, you will comprehend nothing, and you will have to grow to the point of understanding. God did that. Now, and I'm, I'm not trying to be mean about this at all because I've lived this stuff and I know it's not easy. But do you understand what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to invite a Mexican family to your house for Thanksgiving. That's all. I'm dead serious about that. I, I, or, or, or a Taiwanese family or the Thai Dam people. I, I don't care. But I'm saying, please, please, just consider this. The model is clear. The model is so evident, it's just ridiculous when it clicks. Oh, Oh, so the model is, is the Jesus who's absolutely perfect and knows no sin. He's got a really, really great existence, as in a perfect existence. To save me, he was willing to become a little tiny baby who didn't get it, and his mom had to change his diapers, literally. And that's the example. And suddenly, the things that I've had to do to adapt myself to French culture and French life and I'm going to be very vague about this, but um, buying halal meat, which only Muslims eat, has become very normal for me. And being very respectful of Muslim traditions and customs has become easy because I've got the greatest example ever. And I'm just going to say this to you. I love Muslims deeply. And I'm also not stupid. I know what happened on 9-11. And I understand there's a tension there. But you have no clue how much I wish every one of those terrorists in those three airplanes had been saved, four airplanes had been saved by Jesus Christ. You realize that would have changed everything? And you realize that tens of thousands of U.S. soldiers would not have been killed and hundreds of thousands of other civilians would not have been killed. And God knows, and you know, it's real easy, and I wish Hitler hadn't been born, and I wish Genghis Khan... That's fine, I get all that, but... Every time you share the gospel with an individual who could, and it's not Muslim bashing day, it's really not, because it could be a Buddhist, it could be a Hindu, and it could be my white neighbor who's a little crazed. It doesn't matter. But when Jesus Christ comes into their lives, things change. And that's the example Jesus gave to you of when you look at the other that individual who is not like you, doesn't talk like you, dress like you. And when I talk about the other, please, please know, I'm not talking just about skin, hair, and what they eat. I'm, I'm just going to say this, and you probably realize I fight deeply with being a smart aleck. Because I can't be a smart aleck in France. It doesn't work. I'm a smart aleck, like, I don't get it. And so I have six years of pent-up snarkyism. And so please, please forgive me. But when you're horrible, gnarled teeth, Democratic neighbor is in front of your face and he's like, oh, I'm a Democrat and I'm going to eat you alive. Be nice to him. Be kind to him. Wait, no, are all Democrats gnarled teeth beasts? No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not. I actually bet you there's three of them that are nice. And there's probably four Republicans that are kind. So we win. I don't know. I'm not Republican, I live in France, whatever that means. So. But, but, but literally, I mean, I'm not talking just about the, the Hispanic and the Asian, but just the guy who's different. What would happen if we would show this example of Jesus? Well, I'm going to tell you, because 
the, 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 the following is really, really difficult, but it works. Last point. There you go. The key, the, the, I'm sorry, the personal application. So this came before in the passage. I get it. This is what the commandment was, and we had the explanation, but I gave the explanation. Now we're going to the commandment. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Just to be clear, um, please vote. Please be engaged. Please see how God can transform things in that arena. It's not a problem. But when you look at that other, the neighbor who is different, the guy in the city who's different, the El Salvadorian family that you'll be inviting for Thanksgiving, do you know how you're to look at them? The word significant is fine, but it actually should be translated superior. That's the true word. So I'm going to look at all these others. I'm going to look at my neighbor even who is my same skin, my same hair, but has different ideas. And I'm going to say the following. In humility, much like Christ in how he went from A to B, I'm going to count that person as superior to me, more important. I'm going to look at them and say, I'm not going to look at my own interest. I'm going to look at the interest of the other. It's exactly what Jesus did when we gave that example at the very end of yesterday's message of how um, this idea of loving the other, loving the stranger, the foreigner, the other person is literally the example of the gospel. When I was an enemy of God, when I was the most odious, horrible, cruddy person that ever existed, that's when God loved me. God never once has ever said, in heaven, looking down, oh man, if Mark accepts Jesus, <laughs> this thing is going to just blow the roof off of heaven. If I can just get Mark in the family, I've got it made. Not once. My, my guesstimate is God looked down and just said, ugh, he's just as rotten as the others. And maybe just a wee bit more because of what he did with Dan Fish at camp. I'm not sure. But no, we're all really, 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 really horrible. Really, I mean that. We all are. And that's the exact moment that God said, I love you. I care for you. I'm compassionate for you. And so this morning, when you think about all the others in your world, do you consider them superior than yourself? Because maybe intellectually they're not. Maybe your English is better than their English. Maybe you are more talented in certain areas. doesn't matter. Do you look at them as more important? And then at that point, do you consider their interest over your interest? And it's, it's a simple deal because you could look at that and say, well, yeah, but if I do that, they're going to crush me. They're going to take advantage of me. No, because there were times, and this is a tiny illustration, when I saw the interest of my two children sitting there, and I sent to your room, and we had a little coming to Jesus moment, didn't we? Amen? I disciplined them because I wanted their best interest. And really, me, I just wanted to sit there and watch a soccer game. No, that's a lie. I don't like soccer. But, uh, you know, I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to get involved with... But you sometimes 
really need to seek the interest of the other person because it's exactly what Jesus wants. I'm going to finish this, and uh, Noah, I have, I have committed an absolutely horrible crime, and I'm going to ask you to do something. My backpack is sitting in the back chair there. Uh, this is really embarrassing. No, if you can run, and on the top zipper, there's a little blue, um, uh, what do you call it, a clé USB? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, thumb drive. No, it's, uh, there you go. And there's a blue one in there. And there's a file that's called Fearing 2020, I think. And I, I'm deeply sorry, I completely forgot to give these last photos, these last uh, images to Noah. And uh, I'm going to blame it on the fact I'm speaking English, I guess. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I apologize for this. But I want to show you something. It's a story. It's, I'm just be real brief with this. It's for me. It's the single greatest missionary that ever lived. You don't know her. It's almost certain. So it's a woman. It's not William Carey. It's not... Adam Judson, guys I really admire, it's Maria Fearing. She lived Philippians 2 in a way that just blows my mind. She was born in 1837. You can see her skin color. She was born in Gainesville, Alabama. You can guess what kind of an individual she was considered. She was a slave. In the next picture, you can see that this was the daily existence of everyone like her. I'm not even going to read it because I find it offensive, but that's what existed at that time. We'll go to the next one. Her family, two generations before, were brought from West Africa to America. And you can see in the next, the type of conditions. I mean, we've known it. You might have seen roots. You might have read. This is not shocking in the fact that we know this. It's just shocking that it happened. Go on the next slide. She was taken to this plantation. And in the next slide, you will see her master. Uh, I used to know his name, and I've gotten older, and I've forgotten it. But in the next one, there's a phenomenal thing. This is the master's wife. And this is something that God will, I trust, explain to me. And I'll go, oh, I get it now. But I don't get it right now. I hope I get it in heaven. She was a born-again, Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. And she owned slaves. And I find that so odious, it makes me ill. But I, it's, it is. It just is what it is. She taught her slaves how to read, which was illegal. And she taught her slaves how to read the Bible, which was super illegal. And Maria Fearing became a follower of Jesus Christ. That is a very young girl. In the next slide, there were events and things that happened from 1861 to 1864, the Civil War. At the next slide, the slaves were freed during the war, but not officially. Abraham Lincoln made that declaration. So what happened at the end of the war? The next slide, there was true freedom for these slaves, and Maria Fearing entered into something that actually has a missionary background, but I won't get into. And the next slide you will see, she went to a freedman's school. And there is actually a direct link from missions in Hawaii to the freedman's school. So if you ever want to do a deep dive into missions and how it's just fascinating what God did saving individuals in Hawaii, bringing them to the United States after the Civil War. Maria Fearing, the next picture is a drawing. She started kindergarten as a 23-year-old. She was mocked relentlessly. And then think about it. You take a 23-year-old woman and you put her in a class with a bunch of five-year-olds. They're going to ridicule her constantly. You're too tall. Why are you here, Grandma? You know, and she's 23. She got to laugh, laugh, because five years later, she got her high school diploma. So, you know, that, that, that kind of occurred. She kind of skipped several grades. 
She got her diploma. In the next slide, she went to a college that still exists in Alabama, Talladega College, and she received a teaching degree. So she was going to become a teacher, going back to these slaves, her people, and teaching them uh, math and, and, and English and the Bible. So she went and started to become a teacher. We'll go to the next slide. In the town of Anniston, Alabama, and in this drawing here somewhere, and I don't know where, there is a home that Maria Fearing bought. She later would write, it was the single greatest moment in my entire life after receiving Jesus Christ. As a former slave, I bought a house. Think about that. Single African-American woman, 30-something. She bought a house. Just She just... She wept. She couldn't believe it. I used to be owned, and now I am an owner of a building. It was just stunning for her. And so you'll see in the next picture, she would go out everywhere. Wherever poor black families lived, she would go and she would take her books. She would take uh, uh, just some extra set of clothes, and she would spend weeks just teaching and teaching and teaching. At a moment in her life, several years after this, in the next slide, she was invited to go back to her college. In the next picture, you will see why. She was invited to hear, and I just had a moment, and what's this guy's name? Uh, William Shepard. You go to the next slide, and you'll see. Okay, so, so if I never would have remembered it, I knew I had his prayer card, which makes me laugh and laugh and laugh. 1880 prayer cards. So then babies have been around for a while. <laughs> and William Shepard and his family are African missionaries. All right, so what does that mean? Because he's an African-American? Or, no, no, he went to Africa. Let me show you what he did. He went with uh, a missionary by the name of Shepley. Now, because of the times, because of the racism that existed in Alabama at that moment, William Shepley was told, no, 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 no. The black man cannot be the lead missionary. He has to be subservient to you. They arrived in, in, in Belgium, Congo. Two weeks later, Shepley, being the intelligent man he is, he turned to William Shepherd. He said, uh, William, you kind of look a lot more like these people. I'm going to be your number two. You can now lead. Smartest thing he ever did in his life. And I'm just going to show you a little bit what these gentlemen did. It was phenomenal. Now, I do have that uniform at home because I am a missionary. I chose this week not to dress this way. But when I'm at home all alone, I put on my white hat and my white suit, and I walk around, and I go, I'm a missionary in France, and I'm going to go into the jungle and look for baguettes, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, but see, what happened was this, and this is the part I love, 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 he was not an African at all, the Africans would come up to him, and they would touch his skin, and you are one of us, why are you so foreign, he didn't speak their language, he didn't eat their food, he was truly a foreigner to them. And yet, you know, and I, I, Dan, I have pictures of bike guys all around me, and they're all holding their Tour de France gear, and, you know, and I'm there like with my white helmet and stuff. But uh, no, that's not quite the truth. But he had a ministry that was unbelievable, reaching them with the gospel, but he also did something that touches me profoundly. And the next slide is very, very uncomfortable to look at. But the Belgium government, led by the king of Belgium, made an agreement. We will go into villages, and we say, would you, like to, would, would you like to help us? Would you like to work in the mines? No. Let me shake your hand. And they would cut people's hands off and they say, Now, who among you will resist us today? 
I'm not going to show you anymore. I have pictures at my home. I have hundreds and hundreds showing thousands of young Congolese natives or people, indigenous people from there. No hands. And William Shepard saw that and he knew that was not of God. And with a white journalist from the New York Times, they took the king of Belgium to court in Europe and they won. And they got him to stop. And so he's leading people to Christ. He's transforming the culture. He goes back to this school to present this. I might have just a couple more. Just William Shepard and the, the white journalist on the left there. He worked with William Shepard to stop this brutal savagery of mistreating people. I think I've got one more photo. Yeah, I've got a photo of me like that holding a huge French snake. You know, it's like, yeah, I caught this thing. Like, no, I have a picture of a baguette under my arm, you know, and carrying it home from the bakery. So... Missions has changed just a little wee bit, but, uh, and so on the next slide. So he stands, William Shepard stands up in this school and he says, we need people to come to Africa. We need individuals because the Lord is opening a door and we have so many needs to help with the people. And so on the next photo, so he called to Kazai, he called people to go there. And Maria Fearing knew, God wants me to go there. And so she sent a letter to the mission. She said, please accept me. I know I'm a little on the old side. I'm 38 years old, so it's a little late in life to go on this mission. And they wrote back this lovely letter, and it said, no. You are too old. You're a woman. So I'm trying to avoid looking at you ladies. Like, how, how ridiculously offensive. Now, this was their reasoning. They said, we send strong, virulent 20-year-old men, and they get diseases, and they die in five years. We're not going to waste our money on you. I mean, this, she was 5'1". You'll see some pictures later. She was a tiny little woman. They're like, no, no, I'm not going to waste our money on you, paying your boat trip and all that, and you're going to die three days later. And she wrote back the following letter, and I would love to actually own this letter, but people have seen it, and they've copied it. If I pay for my own way, will you let me go? Guess what the mission agency said? Oh, yeah, no problem at all. <laughs> if you're going to waste your own money on your suicide mission, go with God. And do you know how she financed her trip? She sold her house. The single most important thing in her life, she sold. And she went to Africa, and she worked for 45 years. I'm going to show you a couple pictures real quickly here. So that's the missions team. Before she got there, William Shepard is right in the middle. So they had a very mixed group of individuals that were very effective of preaching Christ. We'll go to the next picture. That is the mission station that was established. And so they did uh, health care, but they also preached Christ as they were dealing with the certain individuals that had illnesses and ailments. The next picture. So Maria Fearing showed up. And the thing that I just love, and, and you know, there's optical things, but... The two women are sitting, the man is standing, and Maria is next to him, and he's like, Maria, stand up. And like, oh, wait, you are. I mean, she was a tiny, tiny little woman, just thin-boned and very short. 45 years, she outlasted all those 20-year-old guys. Next picture, I guess missionaries played croquet, who knew? But uh, the next one, she discovered she had a talent with Lingala, the language in Congo. And so, and you can see in the next picture, she started a translation work. Now, there was already a team of individuals that were working on translating the Bible, and they were stumped, and Maria Fearing showed up. And I'm sure the next picture, uh, I've taught, uh, maybe go one more. Uh, okay, so they started a printing press, and they printed it, and go one more then. 
I've taught students from Congo, and they all have the Lingala Bible. And you go on the next one, you can see the language. It thanks all the translators, and Maria Fearing is never listed because she was a woman. So I do think that will be corrected in heaven. I'm pretty sure about that. And a couple men will be chastised. They got their Bible much earlier than they ever thought because a woman was willing, an ex-slave was willing to sell her house, go to the Congo, and work for Christ. I'm going to show you a couple more pictures. So they had a boat that they, they would go up and down various rivers and that they would um, uh, do medical health and preach the gospel. I think in the next picture it might actually be uh, Maria is just on the far right there. Shepherd is in the middle. And they would have Congolese people that would come with them. They would like children's choirs. And they just had a huge ministry. And the next photo, so there's Maria there on the left with the shepherd team. We'll go to the next one. William Shepard practiced dentistry. Do you know how many years he studied to be a dentist? None. And I've told people in our French church, I said, I'm willing to do the same thing. I got a pair of pliers, I have a garage, and I have a drop cloth. Just come on over. It's free. It's not that good. I mean, it just cracked me up, but it's just the idea that, you know, when you have no dentist and some guy shows up and he's got a pair of pliers, you're good to go. But... uh, But he did that because he cared for these people. He loved these people. He wanted to share Christ with these people. We'll go to the next picture. They would go into villages. All I mean, it's just a a very traditional, classic missionary story. And it was led by African-Americans who used to be slaves. And I bet you didn't know that. And I didn't know it either. And it blows me away. If anybody had maybe just a wee little bit of a reason to be bitter to be angry, it might be all the black people in 1866, in 80, in 90. Hey, you know what you used to do to me? Look at my back. That's what you used to do to me. Look at the scars on my hands. That's what you used to do to me. But all these missionaries knew Philippians chapter 2, and all these missionaries followed Philippians chapter 2, and they actually considered themselves inferior even to their former white masters and shared the gospel with them. We'll go on just a couple more, couple more photos. Started a church, growing, thriving church. Next photo, inside of that church. And I'm going to end this with something that Maria did herself that truly, truly, truly shows this example of Philippians chapter 2. Maria found out, in the next couple photos, we'll go to this one. There's Maria. I'll show one more, please. So there she is, and she's just an amazing woman. We'll go one more here. And she found out that when a baby girl was born in a home that already had a baby boy, she was thrown away, as in the umbilical cord was cut, and she was pitched like a boomerang into the jungle. Because they already had the boy. Why would you need a girl? Girls are useless. Which is one of the most pathetic things you can ever say in your life. And Maria knew that. And in that's 1902, so she already started. She's on the top left. And I'm just going to show you a couple more photos. Well, the next one. These girls here. The next photo. Go one more photo. That's a big photo there. And if you go one more photo, Noah, there she is. And she is the next thing I'm going to show you. Mama Waputu. Mama from far. 
She saved 400 girls physically and most of them spiritually. The next slave, a woman who was considered expendable herself, a tool, a possession. But when Jesus got a hold of her, she realized, I consider others superior to myself. I will look at their interests instead of my interests exactly like my Savior did. That's what it's all about, folks. The others are all around us all the time. The differences are skin, hair, culture, language, food. And yet, my question to you, and I close this entire week with this thought. What do you think about them? And what will you do for them? Let's pray. Father, thank you for everything you've done in our lives. And thank you for loving us, for caring for us. Thank you for these examples, both in the life of Jesus and with Maria Fearing. Father, there are others all around us. Give us the same heart, the same eyes, the same attitude as Jesus. Help us to love them. Help us to speak Christ to them constantly. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us constantly as we stumble, as we work through our own prejudices, our own thoughts, our own misconceived perceptions. God, show us that you loved us when we were undesirable. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. And just bless us, Lord, as we go about and live for you. And as we leave this camp, God, help us to accomplish your will and do the things you want us to do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.